0: Well, it's great to be here with you worshiping, and uh, man, today is Palm Sunday. So uh, traditionally, this is actually the Sunday where we reflect back on the celebration that was going on for Christ right before he went to the cross. That week before it, there was a celebration, and these people grabbed these palm leaves, and they brought them out, and they were waving them, and they were crying out, Hosanna, and what was going on in their hearts? What were they thinking? What were they actually all about? What was their passion and their hunger? And that's a little bit of what we're going to look at today and get that to launch us forward into this Passion Week. And so turn with me, if you will, to John chapter 12, starting in verse 1. John chapter 12, starting in verse 1. We're going to actually look at the passage right before the passage Uh, that was all about the palm branch celebration, all right? This is showing a little bit of the setup of what was going on in their hearts and their lives. And so celebrating the king, and we're going to get all about that today. We're going to learn a little bit of it, be challenged to walk out with it. And so here we go. First point, openly and sacrificially worship your king. Openly and sacrificially worship your king. And it starts out here now in chapter 12, verse 1 of John. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave him a dinner. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. And all right, let's just hang there for a moment. And so this is kind of a story and narrative flow. It's giving us a little bit of understanding of what was taking place and it starts out 6 days before the passover Jesus therefore came to Bethany and uh, 6 days before Jesus came to Bethany just so you know this week I spent a lot of hours on just those few words right there 6 days before passover and just trying to understand the order of the week and what took place i'd have to say i had some thoughts about it but there were some things i was learning as i went along and Really, what ties specifically to this passage? Let's make sure we get this. It says six days before the Passover. Before what? And let's not forget that, before the Passover. And so let's just understand a little bit of that from Jewish culture and tradition and history, all right? So you take the time of Christ, you go backwards uh, a little over a 1,000 years, 12 to 1,400 years earlier. And there's this, in the 1400 era, this talk of uh, Israel as servants and slaves in Egypt and they're not liking where they're at they want out in fact God has them there for 400 years and then it's time to be released out and so God has a plan on that he walks through 10 plagues right so some of you are remembering the story now as we walk through this and there's 10 plagues and they're in Egypt and the 10th one is the one when they're finally released in fact God tells Moses all right here's the plan I need you on the 10th of Nisan, that is not a car, that is a month, all right? So on the 10th of Nisan, that's a month in their Jewish calendar based on the moon phases. And on the 10th day, which day? The 10th day, that's about four days before Passover. He's like, hey, I need you to choose a lamb. I need you to choose a lamb without blemish, and then you need to basically hang on to that lamb for four days until you get to the 14th of Nisan, at which point it'll be Passover. There's this 24-hour period. You are to eat this lamb in celebration of what God has provided, and then you're to take the blood of the lamb and put it on the doorpost of your door okay? And so you're putting the blood on the wooden doorpost, and God then that night when he comes through with the 10th plague, a horrible plague, he will pass over your house and not bring that plague upon you and your family there. You putting the blood on the doorpost is saying, I'm in. I trust you, God. I'm believing in you. And so the Israelites, as slaves in Egypt, they took these lambs on the 10th. They held on to them on the 14th day. They slaughtered them. They ended up putting blood on the doorpost. And then it, God said, Hey, also make bread, but without leaven. And why? Because it takes a long time for leaven to rise. And He's like, You're not going to have time. Get your belt set, get your shoes on, get unleavened bread, because all of a sudden the decision will be made to release you, and I need you out of Egypt. Get ready, you're going to move fast. And uh, that's Exodus chapter 12 where some of that's going down if you ever want to read on it. But God then says, and I want you to remember that from now on. Every year on the 10th of Nisan, remember there's the choosing of the lamb, the 14th is the Passover and you're going to celebrate the blood on the doorpost and God passing over and that's exactly what happened is God passed over, he released all of Israel, the Egyptian pharaoh was like, I've had it, get rid of these people and they packed shop and moved immediately. They were out on the run, released from Egypt and God had a plan. Everybody say it with me. God had a plan. And he's like, hey, here's the deal. I need you to celebrate that every year from now on, remembering historically what I did. I saved you from Egypt. And so that's what every year Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread is. Passover is the day where that lamb would be slaughtered, and they would end up be eating that, and then they would have this unleavened bread, and the Feast of Unleavened Bread goes on for seven days after it, and they would remember that they ran out of Egypt quickly based on God's provision. The Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. and Remember, the 10th of Nisan, about four days before the Passover. Now, hear me. I'm going to get a little amped at the moment right? You're like, you do that all the time, so not a big deal, but okay. So here we go. The 10th and the 14th, the 14th is Passover, and that reflects back to what God did on this um, doorpost with the blood put there, and he passes over, and then the Feast of Unleavened Bread is a week of them on the run, and man, I'm telling you, that is a type looking forward, And we are now coming to the time of Christ. And remember, what did John the Baptist say when he saw Jesus early on in the book of John recorded? He says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Man, I'm telling you, while the blood of an actual lamb was put on the doorpost, the blood of Jesus Christ will be put on the wooden cross in just a few days from this time. And as he says, six days until the Passover, a good Jew would be like, oh, that was like two days before we choose the lamb. Just so you know, the lamb of God is about to be chosen as the sacrificed one. And John is saying, hey, six days out from Passover, meaning it's like the eighth of Nisan. And just a minute, because in a couple of days, there's going to be a choosing of that lamb and there will be a decision to kill this lamb. And then a few days after that will become the Passover when Jesus Christ goes to the cross and he died on the cross on the day of Passover. Everybody say, God has a plan. Man, he was showing them from a thousand plus years before that he has it in hand. Hang on. Jesus Christ, he is the answer to the whole of it. And man, this is a huge deal. It says now, six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany. And uh, please note Bethany, it says in John chapter 11, is about two miles outside of Jerusalem. And why did he go there? And it doesn't say exactly, but one thing we can see at the end of chapter 11, it says, now the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where Jesus was, they should let him know so that they might arrest him. They've got plans to arrest Jesus, and really they would prefer to kill him Decisions are going to be nailed down on that coming up pretty quick, but they're done with this Jesus thing. That's where they're at. And so it says, Jesus then went to Bethany. He gets a couple of miles outside of Jerusalem. And uh, remember, the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, this massive celebration every year that the Jews are all to remember. They rally to Jerusalem for it. So the crowds are thronging. They're starting to pour into Jerusalem from all over Israel. So Jesus bails out over to Bethany. And he's spending a couple miles away from Jerusalem, a little bit of downtime. That's what we see going on here. It says, Bethany... Where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Now, here's the reality. We get used to walking through the Bible, and we get used to reading things. And then we read something like that, and we're like, oh, yeah, right. You know, when he raised Lazarus from the dead, that thing. And we're just all like little matter of fact about it all. And, man, hear me, this guy was dead physically and brought back to life. People are stunned by the power Jesus has. I mean, yeah, he can turn water into wine, but you know, he's just toying around with liquids. And and yeah, well, yeah, I mean, he can can say some nice things to people and they're getting some change in their life, but you know, anybody can really talk to the heart a little bit. And well, okay, well, it's kind of hard to argue with some of the blind stuff and some of the lame stuff that's getting a little harder. And He has power over death and sin. Jesus Christ, amen. Praise God, man. So when we read that this is Lazarus who was raised from the dead, man, don't ever just get used to that. Make sure that stuns you every time. Your God, who is the author and perfecter of your good faith, Jesus Christ, he is also in charge of life and death. It says that he raised Lazarus from the dead. and uh, So, Lazarus is hanging out in Bethany. If you go back to chapter 11 in the beginning, Jesus walks through that whole experience with Lazarus and raises him from the dead. This wasn't a raising from the dead where he like fell back dead right away. He's like hanging out in Bethany, living with his family, and so Jesus goes back to Bethany to visit him there, and uh, it says, so they gave Jesus a dinner for him there, because that's what you do when you see someone who's just raised your family member from the dead. You want something to eat? Right? They're celebrating the awesomeness of Jesus Christ here. You've got to remember, this is a party that is knock-down, drag-out, super celebratory, right? This is one of those moments, remember back, Mary and Martha, they were a part of it. They're sisters of Lazarus. And so they're like, not really believing Jesus has power over death. And so they come to him and they're like, if you'd have gotten here earlier, you know, you, you, you missed it. And not being here when he was sick, man, now we can't see him again. And we miss him. And, and Jesus is like, man, you don't know who I am. And uh, he shows them his authority and power as he raises Lazarus from the dead. Now this crew of Lazarus and Mary and Martha are together and they're having a dinner for Jesus. It says Martha served because that's what Martha does, right? And uh, if you look at Mary and Martha and you look at the little bit of the story there, Martha's the one serving and Mary's the one worshiping and Martha gets all upset that, remember this story? And, And so it's happening again here, but just so you know, this isn't a bad moment. Martha's serving here is actually like, Jesus, I love you, and I'm thankful for you, and you are awesome, and she's bringing her giftedness to a celebration of Jesus Christ, and Martha's serving, and Lazarus was one reclining with them at the table, because that's what he does. I don't know, So he's, so he's laying back. I love that John wrote that in there. I'm not exactly sure what point he was trying to make. In part, he was trying to say he was uh, one of the honored guests because he was reclining with Jesus. Um, Who knows if he was making other comments about not helping in the midst of that, but uh, reclining with him at the table. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard, and uh, we don't have this, okay, but this is a super expensive perfume. Quite possibly in liquid form. It would have been about 12 ounces of straight liquid perfume. Super expensive. And uh, she took this perfume, this massively expensive ointment, and it says she took it and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. She took this super expensive ointment and she put it on his feet. What's up with that? Look, it's not really in our culture, right? If you went over to your friend's house and they started pouring perfume on your feet, probably wouldn't go back to your friend's house again, right? <laughs> and, uh, but this is something that's very respectful and very honoring. In fact, if you go to Mark chapter 14, you don't have to turn there, but that's another one of the passages that mirrors the same story. And there it says that the ointment was poured on his head, it says the ointment was poured on his head. And in fact, we actually see after it, he says that she has anointed his whole body in Mark. And so we know here, it's not just his feet. She started with his head and put it on his head there. That actually was very typical. You would anoint a guest with oil on the head. This is saying we honor you and we're thankful for you to be here. Uh, she continued to anoint the whole body all the way down to the feet. Now, what you typically would do was just get a basin of water. And you would bring the water over and put that down, and you would have them put their feet in, and you would not be a part of that. You would get a helper with you or a servant with you. They would do the washing of the feet. That's not your job. That's the servant's job. But Mary comes roaring in, drops to her knees after doing the anointing of the head, gets all the way down to anointing the feet, and now she's supposed to be taking water and cleaning, and she's like, not good enough for you. Water? That's cheap. I'm bringing the best of the best for you. And she anoints his feet with this extremely expensive perfume. Man, she is pouring on and spending out on, and she is saying this You are unbelievable. I I cannot believe what you have done. My brother's alive. Man, you have power over death, you bring life, you are the God of the universe. She gets down on her knees to his feet. And just so you understand, in the Middle Eastern culture, to look at the sole of a foot is extremely, um, almost abusive, socially uncool. And uh, you really are saying, that's how low you are. You're below my feet. That's kind of a Middle Eastern thing. In fact, there was a picture in a newspaper a couple years back uh, that somebody had gotten upset. And uh, they didn't like the other guy, and they were yelling at each other, so the dude took off his shoe and held up his sole. And somebody took a picture of him holding up his shoe, like, what does that mean? In America, we're like, does he need shoes? What's that mean? Right? But he was like, see the sole of my shoe? You're below it. Like, that's a super important understanding, that to be below someone's feet spoke of the lack of value of you and the massive value of them. And Mary got down on her knees at his feet, and she didn't just see the soul. She washed the filth off of his feet, the dust, and she did it with this amazingly expensive oil. She was saying, I am nothing, and you are everything. You are my God. Notice it says here, she anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. Have you ever read that before and went, why? (laughs) Why are you using your hair? Wouldn't a towel work better? I mean, really, it's more practical. And what is she really saying with it? And they're not exactly sure, but I'll tell you this. I'm pretty certain, I'll just say it that way. I think what she was saying is, I am to be anointed on my head with what drips off the bottom of your feet. That's how low I am. I anoint me with what comes off of the most vile lowest part of you. I am nothing and you are everything. This is a massive moment of humble worship before God. You see, all too often we come storming into the throne room of grace and praise God that we do have a throne room of grace where we can enter and talk to him. But we miss the fact that he is the sovereign God of the universe and we are not. And she's making it super crystal clear who he is in her life. And uh, notice it says, the house was filled with the fragrance of perfume. And uh, that's just to let you know that John was there. He's like, man, did it smell strong in that place. And uh, for those of you who are slightly allergic to perfumes or whatever, and uh, you're like, "Uh, I'm sure I would have had to leave that house. The perfume odor is just filling the whole room. And an amazing moment of the odor even making a statement, this one is worthy. That's what's going on. This massive Celebratory move making much of Jesus Christ and openly and publicly humbling herself before Jesus. And, uh, you know, this past week we had baptisms here and uh, it was an awesome celebration. We had 64 people baptized last week, we had a couple of walk ons in it, and uh, just a great time to have testimonies pouring out as people openly and willingly stated of the greatness of Jesus Christ in their life. We've had people saved in the last week, in the last month, in the last year, a number of them in the last year here. Just a ton of God doing a huge work. And here's what I loved. As people were giving their testimonies, this part just rocked me, man. As they're giving their testimonies and sharing of the greatness of Jesus Christ, each and every one of them unique in what God has done, publicly declaring the greatness of Jesus, there was an effect being had on you guys. And as we started to sing worship songs that would all of a sudden say something about Jesus Christ and his victory, you guys were like breaking out in applause in the middle of the song, celebrating out, cheering out for him, applauding out, making much of your God. Why? Because as someone starts to openly declare the greatness of Jesus Christ, man, it is contagious. And all of God's people said, amen, amen. Man, it is awesome. And uh, there was a huge celebration last week as we made much of Him. And uh, man, this week as we roll through the week, may we make much of Him each and every one of us. And uh, what's it going to look like for you to be able to openly declare that Jesus is your God? And uh, whatever that looks like, with a family member or a friend, to be able to make much of Him. Man, are you willing to sacrifice your time, your possessions, your focus and attention on your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? Are you willing? uh, Mary changed the whole tenor of the party with her worship. And get ready to worship your God huge this week, celebrating him with all you've got, preparing as you roll towards Easter, all right? Point number two, check your heart. Check your heart when you feel you should limit your worship. Check your heart when you feel you should limit your worship. Starts in verse four. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, who was about to betray him, and I will just stop there for a minute, Remember, this is the Apostle John sharing this. This is the Holy Spirit through him revealing out. But this is not John knowing ahead of time that Judas would betray. This is after it all went down and John's looking back and recording it. He's like, can you believe that guy was going to betray him like six days later? That's what was coming. And uh, this is looking backward in time and knowing some of what went down. John now reveals out. Judas Iscariot, one of the 12 disciples, so yes, there were 12, and one turned on Jesus, betrayed him, turned him over to the soldiers. He betrayed him for some coins, looking to get some pay from the Pharisees. And uh, this one, Judas Iscariot, whose heart was already sideways with Jesus Christ, he had some things to say about this perfume moment. And uh, he says, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? Why wasn't this sold? This is super expensive, 300 denarii. We're like, I have no idea what a denarii is. Just so you know, one denarii was like a day's wage. So this was like a year's salary in ointment that was poured on his head and feet, right? Right? Like a year's wages. So let's just call it somewhere in the $30,000 to $40,000 range of ointment. Poured on his feet. And Judas Iscariot is like, I'm not sure I'm really good with that. I, I think this was a waste. In fact, why wasn't it sold? And now he ups the ante. And given to the poor. Right? In fact, if you go to Mark 14, it actually says, and the other disciples started to say the same thing too. They were grumbling amongst themselves. Yeah, why wasn't it given to the poor? What is up with that? Are you catching that the disciples following Jesus Christ were not getting what Mary was getting? Mary was understanding something and seeing something. And these guys were like, yeah, what's up with that? How come this wasn't given to the poor? That would have been a really good idea. And... Uh, why was the ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? Um, and then John gives a little caricature. He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. <laughs> you got to love that. Holy Spirit inspired, right? And uh, he's like, I can't believe that guy left us. Don't, don't be kidded by his statement. This, this was not some really great heart for hurting people. This was because he was a thief. Just so you know, the Greek word for the word thief there is the word klepto. Right? Have you heard that before? And he's uh, like, he was a klepto. That's literally what it says. And, uh, and having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put in it. He basically would say, oh, money for helping us as we go. Thank you very much. He puts some in, take a little out for himself. Oh, thank you for, oh, you really appreciate Jesus' ministry. Awesome, I'll let him know that. Thank you. Put some in. Take a little out for myself. And they didn't know it was going on. They had no clue where he was at. But he was in this for the profit financially. Everybody say that's a bad plan. And it did not work out well for him. And his plan here was to get privately rich off of something he did not agree with. And Jesus Christ was not someone he was trusting in and excited to be worshiping. So he starts scolding. Why did you waste? And uh, it says that he used to take what was put into it, his heart being revealed as he stole. So I just wrote this down. Um, Check your heart. When do I check my heart? I just wrote, dude, check your heart when, number one, when your pragmatism is more important than your worship, check your heart. When your pragmatism is more important than your worship, check your heart. When you're like, yeah, I know it would make much of Jesus Christ, but think of the good we could do in this world if, be super careful with that. Man, I'm just telling you, a strong indicator that your heart is beginning to drift into the things of this earth and this world is when somehow celebrating the greatness of Jesus Christ is actually viewed as being a penalty, a loss. Man, that is unacceptable. We will make much of Jesus Christ, and it will cost much. We will celebrate our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He gets my everything. Nothing will stop me from making much of him. My Lord and Savior will get it all. Man, check your heart. If pragmatism speaks to you louder than worship, check your heart. Number two, do check your heart when. When Jesus is good with something and you're not check your heart. She's pouring this on his head and on his feet, and Jesus isn't saying, stop, woman, what are you doing? He doesn't, everybody say he doesn't say that. He doesn't say that. Instead, he's like, let her do this. And he's basically holding out his feet for her to continue when Jesus is good with something and you're not. Check your heart. And, uh, when we think we're more righteous than Jesus, man, are we way off base, right? And, uh, and he's like, hey, I really have a few things to tell you, Jesus. You've missed the point, right? And uh, when pragmatism is more important than worship, when Jesus is good with something and you're not, here's number three, when you are privately steeped in sin but publicly correcting others, check your heart. When you are privately steeped in sin, but publicly correcting others, man, check your heart. Do you find yourself to be the voice in the room that's trying to get everybody else to understand what right is, and yet you know deep down inside you are getting eaten alive by a sin, and you can't get control of it, and Jesus does not have any of your attention? Man, be super clear. That is when a heart needs to be checked fast. Right? And uh, when pragmatism is more important than worship, when Jesus is good with something and you are not, when you are privately steeped in sin but publicly correcting others, check your heart. What do I mean by that? Why am I not worshiping Jesus right now? Why do I think I know better? God, may I get on my knees at your feet and may whatever dribbles off of your feet be the only thing that anoints my head. I am unworthy. Man, put your worship in play. Lord Jesus, you're in charge, and I am not. That's what I mean by check your heart. All right. Jesus has a thing to say. Judas has just decided to lead. And it's not a good lead and Jesus isn't cool with it. So Jesus says, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. He's like, hey, let her go. She's doing something called for by God Almighty. Let her go ahead and anoint my feet. In fact, he starts talking about his burial. The word he uses here is for my burial preparation. Now, I got to tell you, they probably were a bit stunned by the phrase, what? What are you talking about your burial for? Now, we read it, and we know that he's about ready to go to the cross, and so we've got this very clear view, but they weren't quite getting the whole picture yet, and so as Jesus says this, they're kind of hearing it as some sort of metaphorical something or other. I don't know what he's talking about with this whole burial future thing, and uh, Mark actually says, she has anointed me today for burial, head to toe. And then John says, and keep the bottle because you're going to need to anoint and prepare me for burial. And in fact, in just a few short days, that's exactly what she's going to be doing is coming back. They ended up putting spices and uh, perfumes with the body so that it could tend to mask some of the odor. Huge, huge calling that she is responsible for. And it says, so that she may keep it for the day of my burial, none of them knowing it was just a handful of days away. He says, for the poor you always have with me, but you do not always have me. For the poor you always have, but you do not always have me. Man, make sure that your time with your Savior is viewed as precious, priceless. There is nothing else like it easy for us to get all caught up in the physical nature of this world and to lose sight of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And, uh, all right. So when I was growing up uh, a number of years ago, this will date me a bit. So when I was growing up, we, uh, in order to have fun, we ended up basically tacking some wooden boards together with wheels And we would get on that thing. Uh, We called it a go-cart, right? Think of that name. Just let that break down for a moment. Go-cart. Is that the most non-creative name you could have ever come up with? Well, we put wheels on it. It should go. Let's call it a go-cart, right? And so we would get on this thing, and we would actually take a ride for it. Of course, the wheels were just tacked on, so there was no way to steer. It was really a death cart. But otherwise, we... (laughs) We would get on this thing and go after it, and uh, somebody ended up having the genius idea, hey, I saw this somewhere where you can take a lawnmower engine and attach it on the back And you can hook up the engine to the wheels, and I have no idea whose dad ended up helping get this thing going, but somebody's dad did. And we got this thing going where we actually had a cart that could run with a lawnmower engine on it. The problem was, really, like a motorcycle, you kind of turn a throttle on a car, you push an accelerator. On this thing, well, it's a lawnmower engine behind you. (laughs) It was a death cart, really. So you had to lean back, and you would grab the throttle, and you would push on the throttle with your thumb, and it would start to get the engine revving up, and you would start moving really fast, and you would push that as hard as you could. It would end up hitting against this piece of metal that would stop it. They call that thing a governor, right? And so you would push it up against this governor to go as fast as you could, and and it kind of limited out at a pretty low speed, really. It couldn't move a lot more weight very well, and so one of the kids finally figured out that metal thing is getting in the way all the time. And so they busted the governor off, and all of a sudden, you could push it all the way back, and man, were we cooking for one day, right? It's not a good move. But the governor was the limiter on the engine running. Amen. Hey, man, do you have a governor on your worship? Do you have a governor on your worship that just stops you and runs you at a very slow speed? Maybe it's pragmatism just trying to be good to the people around me and, but it causes me to get off of who Jesus is. Maybe you're actually trying to handle the rights and the wrongs of things and, and all of a sudden your self-righteousness is putting you in check and you don't even realize it. Right? Maybe in the end it's just all about you and what you can get and if it's not somehow a benefit to you then you're out and man, is your worship have a governor on it, putting your speed, your power, your amped worship in check. It is time to unleash the worship. Man, let it go. Have a blast making much of your God. Celebrate him. Nothing's going to stop me. I'm in with making much of my Savior. He has gone to the cross. He has died for me. He has risen for me. He is the author of life. He is the creator of all. He is the sustainer of everything. Man, I'm telling you, when he went to the cross, he conquered death. He conquered sin. He is the almighty God. He deserves us at his feet, making much of him. Amen? on. So how are you doing with your worship? And check your heart. Is there a governor on it? Time to unleash and go hard after him with all you've got. Number three, celebrate Jesus and all that he has done and will do. Celebrate Jesus and all that he has done and will do. It says, when the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, what large crowd? Remember, this is the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and they've all come from all over Israel to hang out in Jerusalem and celebrate the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. They're not there to celebrate Jesus necessarily. They're there to remember back to the salvation out of Egypt, but they're all in town. And now the word begins to spread. The large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there. They came, I love this statement, not only on account of Jesus, but also to see Lazarus. Man, is that a high billing, huh? Like, hey, I'm here to see Jesus, well, Jesus, and Lazarus. I really want to see Lazarus, and why? It says, when he had, whom he had raised from the dead, the word got out. Dude, have you heard about this guy? Have you heard about Lazarus? No, I don't know what you're talking about. No, dude, seriously, you haven't heard about Lazarus? Like last week, they raised him from the dead. Jesus was out there. He's like Lazarus. And all of a sudden, the dude walks out. in the, He's got the stuff still wrapped around him. He was put in the tomb, and he came out alive. And they're like, come on. He's like, I'm not kidding, dude. For real. And they're like, no way. Yeah, he lives over in Bethany. We should go see him. If, maybe you want to go check him out. Really? And then all of a sudden, the word gets out. Jesus is there, too. And they're like, all right, we got nothing better to do. We're hanging out to just wait for the Passover. Let's go over there. And so they all go over, and they're meeting up with Lazarus and Jesus, and they're talking, and they're sharing, and they're laughing, and they're saying like, Lazarus, what was it like? That's how much I know about what he answered. I have no clue. That had to be the first question though, right? What was it like to be dead? What did you see? When did you hear his voice calling you? When did you come back? What was it like as you came out of the tomb? And I love Jesus' answer when he did come out of the tomb. They're like, get the stuff off of him and give the guy some food. Right? Like, it's time to embrace this. This is real. He is alive. Man, let's celebrate his life now. And uh, it says here, the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well. They're like, all right, now we're gonna to have to kill him too. Can you, there is a point where you need to check your heart, right? And they're like, hey, this Jesus guy, I don't really like him. I don't like what he's saying. I think he's implying he's God and, 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 and it's time to kill him. Blasphemy, right? And then Lazarus comes back from the dead, and people are hearing and they're now trusting and believing. It says right after it here, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. People are like, I don't know if I believe in Jesus. And they're like, Seriously? Have you seen Lazarus? The dude was dead and now he's alive, man. There are eyewitnesses. I'm telling you, you got to believe what Jesus has. He has authority and power. They're starting to be a witness as they're trusting in him. And the Pharisees are like, kill him. This is just not working well for our plan. Man, how do you know when to check your heart when your plan is more important than God's plan? You are in big, big trouble. And these guys are like, I'm telling you right now, we need to have our way be the way. We need to figure out how to kill this guy. And we need to figure out how to kill Jesus and we got to end this whole insurrection that's going on. And that's where we need to head. And Notice it says right after it then in verse 12. The next day the large crowd, remember the one that came roaring in to see Lazarus, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem so they took branches of palm trees and they went out to meet him crying out. Who were these people that were celebrating Jesus Christ? These are the people who saw Lazarus alive. These are the people who had come to Bethany and they've been blown away by the greatness of Jesus Christ. These are the people who met Mary weeping on her feet, at his feet, the oil dripping off of him, her saying, I'm not worthy. These are the people who were stirred because they met someone impassioned for Jesus Christ. That's who they were, man. And they're fired up to make much of him now. That's celebrating the Savior. Man, here's the deal. This is the plan. Are you ready? Real question now. Are you ready? It is time for us to be that voice in this community. It is time for us to be so fired up about Jesus Christ this week that we cannot help but make much of our God it is time for us to celebrate his greatness and our smallness. It is time for us to get ourselves out of the way and make much of our Savior. It is time for him to be glorified. May Jesus Christ be lifted up in your life. And as you start making much of him this week, whatever way that is, all of a sudden God starts bringing somebody past your path. Maybe it's a family member or a friend. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's somebody you just met at a restaurant who's serving you. And all of a sudden, they're asking you a question or you're talking to them. And the whole thing starts coming around to Jesus Christ is awesome. Man, may this be a celebration week where the word is getting out. You know the Savior. And his name is Jesus. Man, let's celebrate that we know the King. I just wrote these words down. The Pharisees, they missed it. They missed that they were evil and he was good. They missed Jesus' power. They missed his miracles. They missed the joy that comes with knowing him. They missed the celebration and they missed the worship. You and I, we can bring all that to bear. We have a calling to make much of Jesus Christ. And so here's my request. Get this. God had a plan. And the Passover was the day that Jesus Christ would be our Lamb of God, his blood shed for me. Him for me. Everybody say, him for me. Him for me. And it moves to him dying for me, him rising from the dead for me. We celebrate life in Jesus Christ We have hope. He tells us that we will be with him eternally if we believe in him and we confess him as Lord. If we believe he is risen and we confess him as Lord, man, there is salvation in Jesus Christ. And all of God's people said, man, as we get ready for this Easter week, we are here to make much of our Lord. What do you need to let go of? To continue to make much of him. What sin needs to be set down? What celebration needs to be picked up? What family member or friend can you be praying for that God can get all the glory? Are you ready to be one of the members of the crowd who makes much of Jesus Christ and others come to believe and celebrate in him? That's our call. Right, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to ask the ushers if they can come on down, and we're going to have the worship team come on up, and we're going to take a little bit of time right now in prayer. And the ushers are going to come down, and they're going to pass some things down the row, some cards down the row here. These are some invites to the church, man. Here's what I would request: Let's have every single person take one of these stacks. All right, there's a couple of cards in it, and uh, so every single person take a stack. Who's taking a stack? Okay, Every single person, take a stack. It's an invite to the church. Use this strategically to give to someone you know or love who you might be able to invite to this church. Here's my request. Please don't make this someone who goes to another church where they've got a church home and they're fired up and they're going there and it's all about Jesus Christ and they're in. Let that be. That's great. Praise God. But this invite is about, man, if you don't know Jesus, we are going to have this unbelievable celebration going on You don't want to miss out. Please hear what I just said. Here's what I did not say. Hey, you want to come to church with me next week? Don't say that. Everybody say, I won't say that. that. You know why? Let me take a card here, bro. You know why? Because when you say church, uh, they don't know what you mean. Let's have a celebration next week. We're going to make much of Jesus Christ. Man, there's going to be a celebration. It is going to be so unhooked. You want to come with us. Come with us next week and join us for this Easter celebration. It's got the Good Friday and the Easter information on it. And you're going to be inviting people to either one or both of them. And here's the request. Come celebrate our Savior. It is going to be so unglued, st- awesome worship, come join us. I'm telling you, we are going to make much of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It is not, hey, you want to come to church with me? Hey, will you come celebrate Easter with us next week as we make much of Jesus Christ? I'm telling you, it is going to be awesome. We'd love to have you. And, uh, and for you guys, you may want to consider what it looks like to come to an 11 o'clock or a 4.30 service too because man, is nine going to be packed out. Right? So if it works great for you to go to another service, awesome. Praise God for that. And uh, Let's just do this. Let's take a moment or two right now. Right where we are to just bow our heads and close our eyes. And to lay our life before him.